The Guardian. Welcome to Science Weekly. I'm Natalie Grover, a science correspondent with The Guardian. You're listening to the final episode of our special three-part series, Deep Blue Notes. If you hadn't heard part one or two, you might want to go back and listen to these first, as we continue on the final installment of wildlife sound recordist Chris Watson's journey to find and record songs of blue whales. So far in this series, we've been visiting the town of Loreto in Baja, California, a sleepy paradise on Mexico's west coast. For us, it's the gateway to the Sea of Cortez, where we've been trying to get our underwater microphones close to the migratory blue whales that pass along this coastline each year. The whales we've been trying to record account for just one part of an incredible population of wildlife in the surrounding marine park. Protecting the wildlife in the marine park from the impacts of tourism and other industry is essential, especially in the face of increasing development along Mexico's coastline. Loreto's Eco Alliance has been set up to do just that. We dropped into their offices for a visit while we were in town, so we could learn more about their work. Hi. Hi. Chris. Chris. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you. My name is Hugo Quintero. I'm uh, the president of Ecoalianza Loreto. Uh, we are an NGO uh, environmental and uh, education and research uh, organization. This year uh, is 13 years old, and uh, I was co-founder of the organization. Um, uh, I founded Equalianza together with a couple of friends uh, back in 2007 because we wanted to balance the economy and with the environmental. And let's go up to my office. We can talk over there. Here is the area for marine conservation, okay. and we have a lab because we do uh, water testing. We uh, collect samples from 12 beach sites and uh, to learn if it's good for swimming. And over here we do also other conservation activities, like we support the park uh, financially because they don't have enough money to do surveillance. We've been going out to towards, see the blue yeah, we've been just yeah. on the southern tip of Carmen and near uh, Danzante in that mm -hmm. space there. Yeah, this is the area where they breed or eat. So it's sure. very deep water there, yeah. isn't it? But you know, right now, I don't know how many, the inventory last year was 14 blue whales that came. Today, I think is the, about the same. Do you monitor the sound in any of the national park here and sound pollution? Oh yeah, we do it, but only on the, on the coastline. What we were finding was in this area, even the very tiny little boats that do whale watching make a huge noise underwater yeah. and over many, many kilometers. If we were recording here and that we could only see just on the horizon some boats, we'd really hear them very loud. Do you yeah. think this affects the whale? Yeah, it will, it will eventually. And you know, whale watching wasn't an industry here before. Now it begins to pick up and many service providers are asking mm. for permits. So it's growing and mm. there is some regulations taking place like the distance and how many should be on the area. And that's part of what we do, go and check and, and make sure that they're not doing it. 
But uh, right now, going to the island and checking the blue whales and all of that is growing more and more and more. And we don't only have the blue whales, we have several other species here that In visit there. Yeah. Such as what? The cachalote, we have... Sperm whale. Mm-hmm, the sperm whale. Yeah. And the gray whale, too. Mm. And we have the orca, too. Yeah. Of, of Loretta. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And so we are concerned that eventually they don't respect the limits, but uh, the park here was built around a community, so they need a, a way for the livelihood. Yeah. So we need to make a combination, of not only conservation, but also see that it works for the community. So mm-hmm. last year, finally, after 10 years, we got a new management plan for the park. And all the rules and the regulation is being set there, but uh, it took 10 years for this to, to be approved. Uh, so before we used to have only two no-take zones or restricted areas, and now we have like 15 of those. And not, 15? Not oh. so many people know about it. Mm. And uh, there are spots where they are used to go fishing or they go with their boats. So now we're making sure that they understand the new regulations and, and little by little trying to see if it works for the economy, but also works for the environmental yes. and the I mean, ecosystem. I have to say, when we've been out trying to record the blue whales, although there's been a lot of noise pollution from the engines, people seem very respectful of the animals. We've not seen anybody chasing yeah. them or they, they remain at a respectful yeah. distance. So I was quite heartened by that because sometimes in other places, the behavior of, sort of whale watching boats has directly affected the animal's behavior. The park has been uh, doing like workshops every year it's a requirement for them to get their permit. So now they learn how to do well washing. So we wanted to balance the economy with the environmental. Now we do a lot of environmental education. Now we're doing a lot of monitoring. And eventually next year, we're gonna have a research center established here with the University of California. I think you're in a good position because a lot of people start to try and affect change after the environmental damage has occurred. But you're in a very good place in that you're able to start control measures before anything starts to happen. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, Loretta's is still some areas that are very pristine, some areas that need a little bit of work, but... uh, and overall, general, I think we're good, but we, are, we need to keep it that way. Back at our hotel, it was time to prepare for our third day of recording out on the Sea of Cortez. just after 6am and this will be our third day out on the water and at the moment the sun's just coming up and there's this burnt orange streak on the horizon to the east and the weather looks calm again the palms aren't moving much the cockles are awake and the house sparrows actually sounds that remind me of my suburban garden in Newcastle The sun's now illuminating the surface of the sea, exactly where we're going to be heading out to. It looks calm. Let's hope the whales are there today and vocalising. Come on, ye whales. You can hear them now. Calling us. Siren voices, but hopefully getting out at this time. It looks very quiet and very still right now. So, we're just seeing the light coming up. 
only seen one very small boat going into the water here, which is uh, which was a change from yesterday. So fingers crossed. We've sailed out from Puerto Escondido and we're about 20 kilometers from the port and we're headed south and we're looking out across an area of open sea for those whale spouts when they surface. The sea's actually very flat, calm. So we're just scouting around at the moment, so moving slowly while we try and find a whale. We've seen a lot of whale activity further to the south, so we're just going to have a trip down there. Although there are several other whale watching boats there, but um, I just want to get down there so we can hear something under the water. And it wasn't long before we were once again amongst blue whales. Well, believe it or not, we're actually surrounded by blue whales, which is an experience for me. They're in about a two kilometer radius, and Liberto, our captain and whale guide, has suggested we go to a place where we get a chance to record them. And as ever, our captain, Liberto, was right, as a number of blue whales surfaced alongside our boat. Father, mother, and daughter. Family complete. <laughs> we got to this place and the two whales just surfaced within 100 meters of the boat. So we're deploying the hydrophones. Unfortunately, there's several whale spotting boats as well. So we've got some noise to compete with. If you hear it on the surface, like this, it'll be much louder underwater. in the water and um, I just noticed looking down at my recorder the uh, the meters of my recorder were fluctuating significant excursions of the meter but when I listen on my headphones I can't hear anything so I suspect and I don't know if it's a blue whale or not that I'm recording some infrasonic sound which it's actually impossible to hear over over these headphones but it looks like there's something there we're also surrounded by small whale watching boats. So it may be something there, but this frequency seems way below any of the engine noise that we've been hearing. As we continued to record with our hydrophones, the whales passed all around our boat. Blue whales can potentially dive for up to an hour at a time and go to depths of 100 meters. But these whales were regularly coming to the surface, producing those breathing sounds through those two enormous blowholes. That sound that you can hear coming right across the surface of the ocean. This is what our microphones were picking up from the surface. 
and this is the sound underneath being recorded on our hydrophones. some low-frequency excursions on my recording equipment, something that I couldn't hear. Um, so it'd be really interesting to listen when we get back, because they were within 100 metres. That's the closest I've ever been to a blue whale. After hours of recording, the weather conditions once again turned against us. Well, it's the early afternoon and we've noticed a significant increase in the wind uh, out of the north and so the surface of the water is becoming quite choppy and we've not heard or seen any whales certainly for the last hour and Liberto, the captain, said we probably should head back to the port because the wind's getting quite strong. Then, at first light, the next morning, the weather had completely transformed. Well, I was woken up several times during the night by my doors and windows rattling away. And uh, we've just got up now, it's six o'clock, sun's rising over to the east across the Sea of Cortez and it appears there's a really strong wind out there, which can only be worse, I would imagine, on the surface of the sea. We're going to set off to meet Liberto, the captain, and he can assess the sea state, and we'll make a decision then on whether or not we can get out today. I really hope we can, because this is our last day. Liberto, our captain, has suggested that we do get the boat into the water and go and check out the sea state. So we're just being reversed on the back of his boat into the water now, from land and onto the ocean. I'm, I'm glad he's, he's happy to go out and try it because this really is our, our last attempt at recording the blue whales. But first of all, he needs to go take us out and check that the sea state is safe enough to uh, to stay out and importantly um, get back to port because we'll be heading into the wind and the waves on the return journey. As we got further out the sea state deteriorated and the recording conditions became more difficult. Even finding the whales in these rough seas was going to be a challenge, let alone recording them. We stopped 
uh, in a relatively sheltered part of the sea. I'm a bit cold because it was quite a wet journey on the way out here. So I'm just trying to warm up. But uh, Chris has deployed some hydrophones to see if there are any whales in the vicinity. We haven't seen any on the uh, on the surface. Um, um, miraculously, there are no other boats around at the moment. So it is a fantastic opportunity to record the whales if they're here. Um, but what we've just heard is quite a lot of, of sea noise on the hydrophones. Um, but nothing from the whales as yet. But we're just listening with the hydrophones at the moment. This is the sound of the rough seas I was picking up on my hydrophones. And above the surface, the conditions continued to deteriorate. It was actually becoming dangerous to be out at sea, and we needed to quickly head for the safety of Loreto Harbour. Well, Tony, we're back in the harbour at Loreto after a shorter trip, and it was our last day as well, but we only had the morning out there because of the, the weather conditions. I mean, when we get back and analyse those recordings properly, the second and third day, I, I was convinced I was seeing these indications on my recorder, which could well be the low frequency calls of a blue whale, or it could be the mechanical sounds of some of the boats that was around us. But you can't judge how you're hearing things on headphones. So I do have that hope and anticipation that we might have got something. Our journey to Loreto was over. The four days we'd spent out on the Sea of Cortez had been a remarkable learning experience. But now it was time to head home and analyse those recordings and I did wonder if they might contain any blue whale vocalisations that had been inaudible through our headphones whilst we were out at sea on the boat. But before we did, I wanted to learn more about the process of capturing and analysing whale vocalisations. So I called up someone who spends time listening to one of the more vocal species of whale, beluga. Dr. Valerie Vergara has conducted numerous studies on whale vocalizations, and I started off by asking her how her work had led her to focus on these animals and sound in particular. Hey, hey, this is Chris, Chris Watson. Hi, Chris. How did you, can I ask you, um, how did you first get interested in, in marine mammals and, and bioacoustics? It was just such a beautiful combination of uh, understanding the social lives of animals through the window of communication. Um, when you're studying a very intelligent, profoundly social species that is very loquacious, you need to understand their sounds. Otherwise, you're missing out on, on half of what it is like to be them. So, yeah, it really, I think, understanding their sounds really offers a window into sociality. Um, how is it you think that beluga produce sound? 
all toothed whales produce sounds through their noses. It's not really through their vocal tract that they produce the ah, sounds, but okay. literally, quite literally through their noses. They have a set of structures called monkey lips, two sets of muscles far underneath the blowhole, and they open and close these structures repeatedly, letting vibrations through, and they direct the sound through their melon, which acts like an acoustic lens of sorts, so their sounds can be very directional. They're not true vocalizations because they don't produce sounds through the larynx like humans do. I mean, all sound really is vibrations or, or pressure waves. That's what sound really is, right? And the vibrations originate down in their blowhole, in these monkey lip structures. And how do the whales hear these sounds? How are they perceived by other whales? Uh, that's such a cool question because the whales don't have outer ears and they receive the sounds through their jawbone, through their mandibles. And the sound is transmitted through the bone into their inner ears. What sort of frequencies are these whales producing? You know, the, there's a lot of the components of their calls that are within the human hearing range. But there's a lot that we miss. So when you actually put these sounds through spectrograms and you mm. look at them, you realize all of the activity that is going on above hearing range uh, in the ultrasonic frequencies. There's a lot of information there. And they, they produce sounds also that actually don't have any acoustic energy at all below 20 kilohertz. So those sounds, you don't even know they are there until you look at your acoustic file on the spectrograms and you realize there's all these pulsed sounds that they produce. Tony and I wanted to use spectral analysis for ourselves and wondered what a visual representation of the sounds we recorded in Mexico would reveal. Well, Tony and I are now back on dry land. I'm up in Northumberland and Tony's down in the south of England in Guildford, and we're, but we're communicating over the internet. And I was thinking, Tony, just this morning when we were setting this up, if we were both blue whales, uh, we'd have no problem at all communicating over the 500 kilometres <laughs> between where I'm, I am <laughs> and you are. But we're having to use this electronic system and have a conversation about this aspect of spectral analysis and the visual representation of some of those sounds that we recorded. Yeah, some of the sounds that we recorded are such low frequency that we can't always hear them on headphones. And I think there are quite a number of recordings where we suspected there might be blue whales, but one of the only ways of finding out is to do a visual representation. So what we're looking at on the screen is a, a sonogram which has a sort of representation of the energy in the signal and the frequencies of the signal. The spectrogram itself is like a, a little bit like looking at an ultrasound scan image or something like that, where there are, there's a representation of the sound in terms of its frequency or pitch uh, and also the energy in the sound. And then it, uh, of course, plays in time. So we can see traces. 
They're, they're different colours as well, aren't they, for different frequencies? Yeah, so the brighter the colours, the more energy that's present. So we have this rather hazy visual version of the sound where things like the crackles that you hear in the ocean are, appear as a sort of pixelated fog but then some things like tones particularly those tones that we've recorded frequently from uh, boat engines are very long lines which you can see moving across the screen uh, the important thing about this i think is it allows us to look right up into the stratosphere of sounds and the sounds beyond where we can hear and also sounds below where we can hear too so we both got the same track on our workstations in our respective studios. So we're listening to the same track, but we're also looking at the same track. Let, let's just have a, just, just to get it established, just, just, uh, can we just play the track from the start so every, everyone can get the chance to hear what we were listening to at the time? There is like a fog of sound because the water was quite turbulent. I remember that day. It was the second day. It was um, not long before we had to leave because the, the sea got too rough. And so there was, a, there was a lot of sound to listen to. It was very difficult at the time. I remember trying to hear anything. Um, there's a lot of turbulence in the water. And in fact, the blue whales actually came to us. There were two animals, weren't there, that sort of circled the boat just to the north, really quite close, within sort of 20, 30 metres on the surface and then diving. And I thought there was that sort of surge of turbulence when they were really close that was maybe the wake of the whales. Yeah. And there was a couple of whale-watching boats, wasn't there, mm. as usual, sort of hovering on the periphery. The word in the distance, and you know, you can hear those on this recording, but there is a question about whether this low frequency really is a call that's coming from the whales or whether it's something else that, that we're picking up. You know, there are those sort of surges, and then there's that high frequency slap, which I think is sea wash on the underside of the boat, isn't it? Even though our hydrophones were some distance away. You can hear the sort of crustacean noise, the sort of constant clicking that's in, you know, in almost every sea, mm. which on the sonogram appears like a sort of sparkly night sky almost. And there, that's those surges of turbulence that I thought as the whales were, at that point, they were really close to us. Yeah, and the sonogram again shows where the bubbles swoop up uh, in frequency. You can see a big line of, of a collection of sound moving up the graphic representation. And in the background there's that constant sort of whine drone of the other boat's engines, isn't there? But also this sort of pulsing sound and a sort of very low frequency um, throbbing that we can hear there. Mm. Looking at that, though, it's not just a low-frequency sound. It's quite broadband, and in the spectrogram you can see it's a very long sort of line going up and filling in lots of different frequencies. So it might be that that's not made by an animal. It might be that that's made by some sort of friction. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it's a call or a vocalisation. Yeah. So it is maybe that sort of vertical movement as we were bobbing up and down in the boat. You can also, I mean, although the, the boats sound very distant, uh, you can also see very, very clearly in the, in the spectrograms that these are very distinct sounds that are 
you know, very much horizontal and continuous, uh, as opposed to almost all of the other sounds, which have a you know much greater sort of vertical dimension because they have a, they're very rich in frequency. Yeah, they're very persistent, aren't they? And it's hard when we're out on location that sense of having to listen through the sound of the swell and the, and the crustaceans and the engine noise and sort of straining, focusing, trying to focus on any potential sound. Um, and that's why I thought this track was interesting because there was that, those very low frequency humps that were appearing. But from that, I wouldn't have said that they were calls, they were blue whale vocalisations. Well, Tony, it is a shame that we didn't manage to record Blue Whales during our time down in Loretto, but in some respects, I don't think it's a surprise because we know some of the scientific community have been studying Blue Whales out of Loretto for more than 30 years. So spending just a few days out on the water, it's hardly surprising. Yeah, we dipped into an environment for a short period of time and, of course, a short period of every day that we were there and, uh, you know, all of the ramifications of the weather conditions, the transport, the environment, the proximity of the animals, all of those things, actually, in some instances, couldn't have been better. You know, we couldn't have been better placed to make uh, recordings uh, of these animals. It, they just didn't sing. So it's, uh, you know, it's disappointing. But at the same time, it, it's a very important sort of learning opportunity to, to encounter those environments and the animals and understand a little bit about uh, what the scientists are doing. Uh, because protecting that you know almost pristine environment is is unbelievably important i think yeah we're talking about the largest animal that's ever lived in the largest habitat on the planet the seas and the oceans and their work needs to be a long-term non-invasive process to draw out that information so we can design ways of protecting those whales and the habitats Special thanks to Chris Watson, Tony Myatt and Oceans 21. We'll be back next week in a return to our usual Science Weekly programming with episodes that explore some of the crucial scientific questions about COVID-19 as well as more stories from The Guardian Science Journalism. Look after yourselves. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.